Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. At the end of 2023, we shall count down our favorite TV shows of the year. But for now, I'm Jeff Braun. This week, yes, it's the best of the rest. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go through some of my favorite TV shows that didn't quite make the cut. Maybe I'll mention a couple of movies I saw. But, Jeff, you've put together your top movies of the year. You bet. And my top ten start with David Fincher's latest. It's out on Netflix. It's The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't. Aside from Fassbender, Tilda Swinton is also in it, as are a couple of recognizable faces like Charles Parnell and Arliss Howard. Not huge A-listers, but for me, it's the name Fincher that was worth getting excited about. The killer's about an assassin who botches a job and spends the rest of the movie dealing with the fallout. He spends a lot of time narrating all his little rules, and then we watch him break almost all of them. He's either seriously deluded about his own talents, or he's just having a run of stupendously bad luck. Fincher's a details guy, and the killer's a details character and it's a details movie and so that kind of works very well the story is kind of unremarkable at first blush but it's fine you know just not mind-blowing and there's nothing bonkers in it like his previous movie seven or fight club if that's what you're looking for you might be a little disappointed but fincher movies tend to reveal themselves to be richer the more you watch them and i think the killer will prove to be that as well at number nine on my list ben affleck directed and co-starred in a movie about the creation of the world's most popular basketball shoes it's called air i'm gonna build a shoe line around one guy who's the player michael jordan i've never had a feeling like this for a rookie who's never set foot on an nba court i found him who's that jesus can't afford him there's nothing cool about nike are you trying to ruin your career i believe in you a shoe is just a shoe until my son steps into it air rated r Air stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, and Viola Davis, a docudrama of the creation of Nike's incredibly popular Air Jordan line of basketball shoes and how the company got into business with Michael Jordan. It's a delightful, fun story with a happy ending, of course, a nostalgia shot coming from all sides, the 80s of the story, the 90s of Matt and Ben, and the always comforting presence of Jason Bateman. At the same time as Air, we also saw Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, and Dungeons and Dragons all within two weeks of each other, so the 80s were big at the movies in 2023. Next on my list at number eight is a movie about one of the biggest technical revolutions of the last 20 years. It's called Blackberry. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. That guy is sketchy. I don't think he's sketchy. The guy's a shark. I know how to market it, and I know who we can sell it to. But I want 50% of the company, and I've got to be CEO. I don't know who you think you are, but deal. Are you joking? 
Blackberry stars Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton as the guys behind the Blackberry, which took the world by storm and then vanished in the blink of an iPhone. Baruchel plays Mike Lazaridis, who, along with his team of very nerdy friends at Research in Motion, invented the Blackberry. They had a brilliant idea and absolutely no means of making their dream become a reality. Enter Jim Balsillie, a hothead businessman who didn't know jack about tech but knew how to sell it. So they teamed up and the Blackberry became the first major smartphone in the early 2000s. A few years later for a variety of reasons, mostly corruption and the introduction of the iPhone. It all came crashing down around them. It weirdly has a lot of the same beats as your standard gangster movie. Gangsters nobody, then somebody, then huge, and then their hubris uh, has it all come crashing down among, around them. Fewer deaths, but way more money involved in BlackBerry. Howerton was inspired casting, I thought. He spent nearly 20 years playing Dennis Reynolds on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Dennis is a psychopath prone to rage-filled outbursts, so when Balsillie flies off the handle, its territory Howerton was comfortable in and it was very entertaining one of the weirdest movies of the year was also one of the best it's number seven on my list Joaquin Phoenix starring in Bo is Afraid I'm visiting my mother tomorrow do you ever wish that she was dead what Bo are you on your way I'm on my way I just it's not safe is it I sincerely doubt that you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Bo is Afraid comes to us from writer-director Ari Aster, who's a horror guy and an acclaimed one at that, whose first two movies were Hereditary and Midsummer. I haven't seen either of those because of my aversion to horror, but I gave this a shot because it was said to be a comedy, and there are still some kind of nightmarish images, but it's not a horror. It is three hours long, though, and a wild ride. Just another long movie that does justify its runtime for the most part. Boy's anxiety issues, and we see the world through his eyes, and it's weird and scary, and he goes on this odyssey to get to his mother's house, and frankly, it gets even weirder as his adventure goes along. I'm still not sure I understood the ending, but it was very exciting to watch, and every bonkers moment of that movie. Number six on my list, the only sequel in my top ten, it's John Wick, Chapter 4. Same advice. Saying hello. You think your wife can hear you? No. Then why bother? Maybe I'm wrong. You're going to die. Maybe not. Man has to look his best when it's time to get married. Or buried. I'm going to need a gun. Somehow, of all the incredibly long movies that came out this year, the one I have the least problem with runtime-wise is John Wick 4. Uh, if you've seen the first three John Wicks, you've pretty much seen the fourth one, and it's fantastic. The relentless action takes you through the nearly three hours pretty quickly, and even though it is the fourth chapter of the same book, they come up with a few new things to look at. That firebomb gun was something else. And then there's The Stairs. I can't decide if it's the best or worst part of the movie. It doesn't help that it comes so deep into the film that when uh, it happens, a second time you'll know what i mean when you see it it gets a little come on get to the point already but it's great john wick action all around good stuff for chapter four number five on my list is a lovely little movie called past lives really sure childhood sweethearts reconnect only to realize they were meant for each other there's just this kid in my head i think i just missed him did he miss you 
is my life. This is where I'm supposed to be. Want you to stay. Past Lives is a mix of Korean and English, although mostly Korean, so there are subtitles. It starts in Seoul, where we meet two 12-year-olds and their best friends, and we're led to believe that if their life were to carry out as normal, they'd probably grow up and marry each other. But the little girl, Nora, her family immigrates to Toronto instead, and they lose touch. Then there are a couple of long time jumps throughout the movie, and they reconnect, and it's kind of going to culminate with him visiting her and her husband in New York, and who knows what'll happen. Will he be looking for something romantic? Will she be Responsive to something like that. What about her husband? He's clearly sweating some of this. And the movie's about fate and true love and things like that. It's very engrossing and, like I said, a lovely little film. Great writing, great acting, well worth your time, and one of the best of the year. At number four on my list is a French courtroom drama called Anatomy of a Fall. So, as you can see, an accidental fall is going to be hard to defend, given the height of the windowsill. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's an investigation for uh, more suspect uh, and your 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 more su- suspicious, suspicious deaths, yeah. yeah, and your témoin assisté because you were the only person there. Okay. And of course, you, your his wife. Samuel had no enemies. That stop. Make- stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. Anatomy of a Fall won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival last May, which is the most prestigious award a movie can win after an Oscar. Uh, It also got a bunch of Golden Globe nominations and probably will get some Oscar nominations, although not the international feature Oscar, a.k.a. Best Foreign Film, because France elected to submit a different movie. So this one isn't even eligible, but it is for Best Picture, and I won't be surprised if it's nominated. Despite being from France, the movie is probably more than half in English and, of course, also in French. And the main character is actually German. Her name is Sandra Voiter, and she's played by Sandra Huller. Sandra and her husband and their 11-year-old son and dog live in a chalet in the Alps, a chalet that's being renovated at the moment by the husband, who is a man from France, which is why they live there. It's his hometown. And one day, while Sandra's having a nap, according to her, and her son is out walking the dog, which we see, the dad falls out of a window and dies. There's an investigation, and before too long, Sandra is charged with homicide. We watch the court case. We see the changes at home in the wake of the dad's death, and how it affects her and her son. It's all very compelling stuff. And there's a genuine mystery and an ending that will, you know, spark some conversation on the drive home. All the performances are great. Sandra Huller uh, getting a lot of awards attention. Same with the movie. So I think the kid actually gives one of the best performances I've ever seen from a kid. And he has some real difficult scenes to carry and does a great job. Anatomy of a Fall, one of the best movies of the year. That's 10 through 4 on my list, Brett. We'll do the top three a little later in the show. And up next, we will switch gears for a few moments because I want to tell you about some of the best of the rest of television. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, and we are going through the best of the rest. So Jeff's gone through, he's got a top 10 movie list. He's gone through 10 through 4. I've got a couple of movies that I can mention, but I wanted to focus on some shows that are not going to make the cut when we do our year-end top 20 TV shows. But I want to start... So I'm, and I'm not going to do it in any particular order, I'll ju- other than when they arrived. And so let's start back in January when a reality competition show debuted on Netflix called Physical 100. <laughs>
It's from South Korea, hence why you couldn't understand anything or likely couldn't understand anything in that clip. I would describe it as a combination of survivor immunity challenges and Squid Game, which was that other show from South Korea about people competing for lots of money, but also for their lives in a series of increasingly insane challenges. And by the way, Netflix also recently released Squid Game The Challenge, Another reality competition show, but this one actually based on the fictional series Squid Game. It started off cool, but it limped across the finish line. That show is not worth your time. Physical 100 is, and it is described as follows. 100 contestants in top physical shape compete in a series of grueling challenges to try to be the last one standing. And it's people from all walks of life, 100 of the fittest, strongest people in the country. And, like, we're talking... Athletes to postal workers. It's super fun, but what I really enjoyed about it was the sportsmanship on display. It was refreshing to see a contest like this where you've got big, strong people. You would expect there to be lots of rage and gloating. It was just refreshing to see people respect each other and not gloat and not trash talk. I'd even go so far as to say this almost feels like it should be required viewing for both kids and adults to learn to remind us what being a good sport is all about. It's got nine episodes. Each of the first eight ends in a solid cliffhanger, and the conclusion was satisfying. So one of my favorite competition shows, I think, ever. Up next on my best of the rest for television, it's a show I've really enjoyed on Netflix since it debuted back in 2018. Penn Badgley of Gossip Girl fame was back on the screen this year for season four of you. I would do anything for you. I just want to be good enough for you. You is a sexy psychological thriller. It's like a CW show, but more violent and more crazy. It is soapy. It features an attractive young cast. It's often described as trashy, which is fine. I like trashy TV. And this it's a well-reviewed show, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, so clearly a lot of people enjoy good trashy TV. It's based on a series of books about a guy named Joe Goldberg. Friendly guy, on the surface. But it turns out he's kind of an obsessive psycho who doesn't understand boundaries and makes a regular habit of kidnapping women and killing people. The great twist of this show is in spite of his lunacy, you kind of like him. You kind of root for him. You know he's bad, but he's just so likable. So it, it it's similar to Dexter in that way where Dexter was a serial killer, but he only killed bad people. So that was the moral, uh, you know, Interesting thing about that show is, should we be cheering for this character? This latest season drops him into a new environment across the pond, where he's surrounded by a bunch of richy rich types, so you kind of want him to dole out his special brand of care, because they're mostly jerks. And there's a great mid-season twist. They released this season in two parts, first five episodes in February, second five in March, and the first part ended on a great cliffhanger that sort of uproots the whole thing. Overall, I found the fourth season led to a satisfying conclusion, both as a season finale and potential series finale, but there will be a fifth and final season that takes him back to where he started, New York. Can't wait. Next on my list, Star Wars, specifically The Mandalorian Season 3. This is the way. And Ahsoka Season 1. 
I started hearing whispers about Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. We have to prepare for the worst. The Jedi fell a long time ago. There aren't many left. Perhaps it is time to begin again. Ahsoka, original series streaming August 23rd. So in 2020, The Mandalorian Season 2 is my favorite show of the year. It had an incredibly emotional payoff. Season 3 had some super thrilling action, but ultimately kind of dragged. And it appears they're moving away from the main character, Din Djarin, being the Mandalorian. He is the story, alongside Grogu, a.k.a. Baby Yoda. But actor Pedro Pascal has been kind of hinting at wanting out. So it was a good season, not great, Similar thoughts on Ahsoka. I'll share those next. You are listening to the best of the rest with the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. We're doing our best of the rest show. This is where we look at the best of the stuff that doesn't make it into the top 10, although it's kind of a free-for-all because we're doing our top 20 TV shows at the end of the year. Today, Jeff is going through his top 10 movies of 2023. I've got a couple of movies I want to mention, and right now I'm going through my favorite shows that didn't quite make the cut for the best shows of the year. We're talking Star Wars right now. I just offered some thoughts on The Mandalorian Season 3. Good season, not great. And then Ahsoka. That show needed to be a slam dunk for Star Wars. It was not. It was good. It had a cool story. Cool lightsaber fights. Actor Ray Winstone, the now late Ray Winstone, was dynamite. But it had boring characters for the most part, including Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. She was a spark plug character in the Star Wars cartoons, but she was also a teenager. Many years have passed, and now she's quiet, reserved, she's ridden with guilt, and ultimately kind of boring. They didn't really explore it in the way I think they should have. But she does come back to life towards the end. But was it too little too late? I mean, I am hopeful for a second season, and they are intending to bring all of this stuff together, the Mandalorian and Ahsoka together in a movie. So, yeah, Star Wars was good. It was fun. Just wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. Next up for me... Nature! 97-year-old Sir David Attenborough delivers a solid one-two punch with a show on Prime called Wild Isles. Welcome to a place that is astonishing. Nature in these islands, if you know where to look, can be extraordinary. And a show on Netflix called Our Planet 2. 60,000 years ago, humans left Africa for the first time. Since then, we haven't stopped, traveling to every corner of the Earth. But our journey is just one of many. At any given moment, Billions of animals are on the move. Wild Isles takes place entirely in the British Isles. It came out in April in conjunction with Earth Day. Our Planet 2 came out in June and focuses on migration habits around the world. These shows are scintillating. Amazing footage, important wildlife stories and how they affect our world. Just beautiful, beautiful shows. Highly recommend that you watch both of them. Next up for me for Best of the Rest TV shows, a show that first debuted across the pond in 2011. It launched its sixth season in June on Netflix, Black Mirror. 
guy had been abducting people. So that's what your documentary's about. The details are so awful, it is irresistible. <gasps> I love it. Here's how the show is described. A series of standalone dramas, sharp, suspenseful, satirical tales that explore techno-paranoia. Black Mirror is a contemporary reworking of the Twilight Zone with stories that tap into the collective unease about the modern world, particularly regarding both intended and unintended consequences of new technologies and the effect they have on society and individuals. Typical British show, two seasons and a special, and that was it. And then Netflix picked up the baton, and now four seasons and uh, four new seasons on Netflix and the interactive movie Bandersnatch. And with the exception of Bandersnatch, which was okay, neat gimmick, neat idea, ambitious, but ultimately not all that great, Black Mirror overall is excellent, and season six is another triumph. Even the episodes that are okay are better than most things on TV. If you've never watched Black Mirror, watch it. But don't binge it. It's heavy stuff that will require some reflection. Watch it, enjoy it, let the questions sink in, and maybe you'll find some answers. And one more on my best of the rest for TV... On Apple TV Plus, the 10-episode series, Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Everything you don't want to believe... ...exists. Holy... If you want to save millions of lives... ...we can use some help. So Monarch, it actually just debuted back in mid-November, so we're only halfway through this season. But Monarch is set in the Monsterverse, the Warner Brothers Legacy Pictures show set in the American Godzilla King Kong world that has been created since 2004. While the movies have been fun to middling to good, the show so far has been great, and it's getting great reviews, and uh, I just think it's excellent. We'll have more on monsters later in the show. But this might be the best storytelling we've gotten so far from the MonsterVerse. It's a genuine surprise. It looks incredible. It has a great cast, including Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt as the same character over time, which is a clever piece of business. So I really recommend this, especially if you at all like the MonsterVerse movies. And speaking of movies, let's move into... I got a couple of movies here that I want to mention. I will acknowledge Jeff already mentioned John Wick Chapter 4 coming in at number 6 on his top 10. Uh, so I guess I, I, I've got a top 3 here, but... I would say a top four with John Wick Chapter 4 would be in there. Uh, but let's start with a movie that came out in April. Went on to become the second biggest movie of the year with $1.36 billion worldwide. had to let that music play out. I love the way they did that. Give it the cinematic treatment. It's the Super Mario Brothers movie. I had a blast watching this. Partly for some nostalgia, partly for the creativity, partly for the flashy and colorful visuals. It was just a simple and fun movie. It's not perfect. The story is kind of weak here and there, but so what? It at least made sense on how two plumbers from Brooklyn made it to the Mushroom Kingdom. This movie knows exactly what it is. It's a movie about a video game that has been entertaining people of all ages for decades. So that's what they made, a movie to entertain people of all ages. I love it. And you can find that on Prime. Next up for me, this one opened in July and did not disappoint. 
Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Audiences and critics can't believe what they're seeing. Listen to me. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Tom Cruise has outdone himself with a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie actually ended up opening on a Monday night as they sought to take advantage of IMAX screenings before Oppenheimer opened like a week and a half later and took over all the IMAX screens. This is the seventh movie in the Mission Impossible franchise, which first debuted in 1996. And Tom Cruise, who's now 61, is still right there in the middle of all the action. And the action is wild. And as is the case with these movies, there is an existential threat that could potentially destroy the world. So the impossible mission force has to stop it. None of our lives can matter more than this mission. I don't accept that. Returning cast members include Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, and Vanessa Kirby, and some of the new additions include Haley Atwell and Palm Clementine, both of whom you might know from the MCU. Atwell was Peggy Carter, Clementine was Mantis. Atwell in particular was a wonderful addition to the cast. Is this where we run? Go, 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 go! Probably. But the real star, of course, is the action and the stunts, the crazy car chase in Rome, Tom Cruise running, and Tom Cruise riding a motorcycle off a cliff. The action is just bonkers, and it's a super entertaining film. The plot is a little thin at times, and I think it's a little too long, but overall, it's great, and it taps into some real genuine fears in the world right now. So I gave uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 four couch cushions out of five. Part 2, or... Whatever they're going to call it now was supposed to come out in June 2024, but it's been delayed to May 2025. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. And if you heard last week's show, it will be no surprise when I tell you my favorite movie this year is... Godzilla. Minus one. Godzilla Minus One. It's getting amazing reviews, including from me. And this is not part of the aforementioned American Monsterverse. This is from Toho Studios in Japan. Takes us back to the end of World War II. Japan is in pieces, and Godzilla shows up to make things worse. But it's not just Godzilla Smash. We are introduced to tremendous human characters who have a really touching, relatable, painful story. It's about people coming together in the face of insane adversity when they've basically got nothing since they've been devastated by war. It's surprisingly heartwarming, emotional, and inspirational. And Godzilla looks fantastic. For a reported $15 million budget, they made this movie look as good as any major blockbuster, and Godzilla is mean. He is scary. He looks amazing, and his atomic heat breath is badder than ever. It, it genuinely made me jump out of my seat. I went in with high expectations based on all of the great reviews this movie was getting, and those expectations were smashed to bits. Godzilla smash! I love it. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for Godzilla minus one. And up next, we've got Jeff Braun's top three movies of 2023 as we round out the best of the rest. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. 
Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're doing the best of the rest, not our top 20 TV shows of the year. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. But this is the best of the rest. And for me, I've been counting down some of my favorite movies. I've counted down from 10 to 4, and now I've got the top three left. I will say, Brett, you mentioned Mission Impossible was one of your favorite movies this list. It was number 11 on my list of top 10 favorite movies, so I didn't quite get there. But that was a great movie, and I look forward to, like you said, whatever they do for a sequel to it. But at number three on my list, it's Martin Scorsese's latest, Killers of the Flower Moon. $1,000 for any information about these murders. We need to find the truth about these killings. I know what I gotta do. Your uncle. You scared of him? I'm gonna tell you who did it. Oh my God. Killers of the Flower Moon. Rated R. Much has been made about the running time of this movie in particular. It clocked in at three and a half hours. Lord knows I love to complain about movies being too long. The good news here was the time didn't bother me a whole lot. Most movies don't merit their extra minutes. This one does. It's based on a true story of the Osage Nation in Oklahoma in the 1920s. Oil has been found on their reservation land, and they're all getting really rich off of it. And then they start dying. There's straight-up cold-blooded murder. There's murders made to look like suicides. There's murders meant to look like death by natural causes, but it's all murder, and it's all with the intent of separating the Osage from their newfound oil-rich wealth. Leonardo DiCaprio stars as a young man just home from World War I who falls in love with an Osage woman and marries her. She's played by Lily Gladstone, and he has an uncle, a very bad man, played by Robert De Niro, who is behind a lot of the shady stuff going on. And where a lot of Scorsese's gangster movies kind of relish in the criminal underworld, at least at first, eventually they usually get their come up here it's all just sad it's not really new ground thematically for Scorsese but it is refreshingly new ground as far as the setting goes he's a New York guy through and through so it was kind of cool to see him putting this uh, doing this story out in the prairies it's powerful stuff all around really a great film one of the highlights of the year for sure and don't let that three and a half hour running time be the thing that keeps you from seeing it and now my number one and number two spots are kind of interchangeable it's a tie and of course it's Barbenheimer. Let's start with Barb. It's time for Barbie. Me? To discover... The real world. No! No, 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 no. Watch me. I've started to get all these weirdo feelings. It's anxiety. I have a tooth. You're going to start getting sad and mushy and complicated. She's not dead. She's just having an existential crisis. What about Ken? I'm just a dude. Ken isn't something we're worried about. What? Barbie was entertaining, but also had a lot to say, and that's a rare for a movie to be both of those things. It's literal and very existential. It was funny and dramatic. I laughed a lot and cried a couple times. Very deep and also, you know, just based on a toy from Mattel. It confronts the things people love about Barbie, the things people hate about Barbie, and looks at what Barbie was originally, what it became, how it fits in today's world. An incredibly creative and inventive movie, and also a shameless shill for Mattel. And like Barbie, the movie is everything. Now, now, from everything I've heard and read, that had a lot to do with the star of the movie, Margot Robbie. She's also a producer and reportedly shielded the writer and director Greta Gerwig and her co-writer Noah Baumbach from Mattel, giving them the creative license to do
do whatever it was that they wanted. And then Mattel and Warner Brothers, everyone else involved, were, of course, rewarded handsomely for giving them that leeway because the movie raked in well over a billion dollars. Gerwig pulled off some kind of crazy magic trick making this movie that she made and making it work as well as she did. It turned out to be a global phenomenon, and it was just, you know, the icing on the cake. A truly original movie from one of the most classic kids' toys of all time. And now that we've covered Barb, let's move on to Inheimer or Oppenheimer. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Detonator's charged. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon, but I know the Nazis can't. Three, two, one... Oppenheimer in theaters this summer. It's a three-hour biopic about a scientist that we probably all knew the name of and what maybe his main accomplishment in life was, but if you're like me, you knew literally nothing about the man going in. Director Christopher Nolan, as anyone who's seen any of his movies well knows, can't bring himself to tell a straightforward linear story, and so we get three timelines running concurrently throughout Oppenheimer, and through these timelines, we see the relevant part of his life as it pertains to the Manhattan Project, which was the development of the world's first nuclear bomb, which would be used against Japan at the end of World War II. There's a lot of material in this movie, period. It's incredibly dense. It's mostly men in suits talking, scientists and politicians as the other strands of time go on to show us, and it doesn't do much in the way of hand-holding. I've seen it twice. The second time, I picked up a lot more of the details than the first time around, and I think each subsequent viewing will have similar results. The performances are great across the board. Of course, Killian Murphy in the title role is the main attraction. He's a man who finds the pursuit of the science thrilling and the consequences dreadful, both in the war and in the political aftermath. A banger that had no business being a banger, and along with Barbie, the best movie of the year in Oppenheimer. And if you'll notice, Brett, I said it before, only one sequel on my top ten. It was a great movie for brand new movies or series or just creative uh, filmmaking uh, that wasn't just sequelitis. A lot of the sequels fell short this year. Yeah, and I'm hoping that Hollywood will take notice of movies like Barbie, like Arpen Oppenheimer, and Godzilla Minus One. It doesn't have to be a sequel to be a hit. Yeah. And we will count down our top 20 television shows of 2023 to wrap up the year. Next week, we've got our holiday special. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.